Good morning. We're in a series out of the book of Galatians, a letter that Paul wrote to a, an early church, one of the earliest churches, actually the first letter that Paul wrote. So we're just going to be looking into it, and it's in a series that we're calling Truth in the Midst of a Whole Lot of Lies that we have uh, all around us in our world. And what we've been doing is to give us a chance to know some of our folks better. Anne, you come on up. Mike's already up here. Come on up. If you guys will grab one of those mics. Oh, you got one? We, we're playing a game, two truths and a lie, and you have to guess which one, which uh, the lie is. Who wants to go first? You want to go? Dan, there, there's your name, so go for it. Life, so it was really hard to come up with something. But I've, I've got some, and I'll be excited to see if you can figure out which one is the lie. Okay? I have been nominated for Teacher of the Year twice and was a finalist during the second nomination. While in Chicago, I confronted a man with a knife about a stolen broom. <laughs> I stopped two men from breaking into a neighbor's house while wearing my pajamas. Okay, I have no idea. I, I think number one's true, would be my guess. Teacher of the year, because she's like the best of the best. <laughs> I was nominated once and a finalist once. So, so is that a true? That would be a lie, That's because a lie. it says second nomination, and I was nominated twice. I was only nominated once. The others are true. You got to watch this girl. She's little, but she's dangerous. Man. I have no fear. <laughs> All right, Mike. Let me, hey, Ann, let me borrow that. Mike. All right, Mike, let's hear your truths and a lie. Are they up there? Because I don't yes. know what they are. I can't read them. Um, I got to play some fast bit softball in Japan. Okay. I worked as a juvenile detention supervisor while in college where I met three murderers. Congratulations on that. I can't see that. I broke my arm. I broke my arm at the Major League All-Star Game held in Kansas City a few years back. I know that's true. I've heard that story. All right. Who, do you, how many, which one's the lie? I think hmm, maybe one. What are you saying? The lie is three. It was at the oh. World Series game. Oh. You're tricky. That's tricky. Game two is World Series. Well, I heard the story. I just didn't remember what it was. You can just put it right over there if you want, Mike. All right, I'm going to give you one from today's uh, chapter out of Galatians chapter three. So you can get your Bibles and turn to that. But here are the two. Two truths and a lie, and let's see if we can figure out which is which. If you can, on, a, on your note sheet, just put one, two, three, and then you write your answer, and then we'll answer those as we go through the teaching today. The first one is, the law of God was given to make man be good. The law of God was given to make man be good. That's number one. Number two. The law of God was given to make man aware of his sin. The law of God was given to make man aware of his sin. Three. The law of God was given as a prison with a strict tutor, teacher, guardian. 
The law of God was given as a prison with a strict tutor. Kind of a little vague on that one, but that's number three. See, see if you can get which, which is the lie and which are the truths as we go through this study together. All right, you have your Bibles. Let's go to Galatians chapter 3, and we're starting in verse 15 of this chapter. 3.15. Brothers and sisters, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say, and to seeds, plural, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person, and Paul declares who that is here, that is Christ. What I mean is this, the law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it can no longer depend on the promise. But God in his grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. Why then was the law given at all? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. The law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator. A mediator, however, implies more than one party, but God is one. Is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But Scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin so that what is, was promised being given through faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. There, before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now this faith has come. We are no longer under a guardian. So as you read through that, you may have been able to answer some of those questions that, or whether they're true or false. The first thing I want you to, in your notes, is to get this down, is this. The law is given as a guide for godliness. So God's desire through the law was basically this, that we could live a life that is a portrait of God. So the law of God defines or describes the morality or the character of God. And he gave us that outline in which we can live our life based upon. He wanted us to understand what he wanted our lives to be like. And then why then was the law given at all? It says in, in Galatians 3.19. It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. It was added... Because of transgressions. And I've said this before. If you have a bullseye target on that wall over there. And I have a bow and arrow and I shoot at that target. And I, it goes toward the target. But it, it moves off the center. That's called transgression. It does not hit the center of the target. It moves off. 
and says, because of man's transgression, inability to hit these targets, then the law was added. That's what the scripture tells us. And it was added 430 years following the time when God made a promise or a covenant to Abraham. It's, it, that's described in Genesis 15. If you want to at some point go back and look up that, that promise that God made to Abraham. This law was over and above the Abrahamic covenant for the purposes of restraining transgression. The law was put on our sinfulness in order to try to restrain transgression. But it was kind of like a defining fence, if you will. God gave us a law so that we could learn to stay within the parameters that he wanted us to be a portrait. He wanted his people to look like him in our behavior and our conduct. Then it says this important thing, this, uh, this little passage right here has really captured my attention in a very large way. It's in verse uh, 18. In your seed, which is in your DNA, Abraham, this chosen man of God, he said, in your DNA, in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. That this is... in. And then Paul describes it carefully. He said he did not say back there in the promise through your seeds or numerous people from your line. He says from your seed, singular, from your DNA will come one that will be a blessing to all of the nations. And he clearly says all the way back from the time of Abraham until the coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, that that seed was protected And if you get that in your heart, begin to look again. I said this before, but begin to look at all of the Old Testament stories and how it was designed to protect that seed all the way from Abraham to the time of Jesus. And it was protected because it was a God's chosen seed of which would be a blessing to all the world. Think about it with me just a moment. In Genesis 6, you'll remember the story of the sons of God or the uh, fallen angels or the demonic angels says that they took off their first estate and became something a little different because they saw the daughters of, of men were beautiful. And it says they took some, they use the term marriage, but basically I don't think it was a marriage. I think they took some and impregnated women And the scripture then in Genesis 6 talks about out of this came this birth of a a human demonic angel type creation called the Nephilim. And these Nephilim were giants in the land. Just read in Genesis 6. It tells you the story. Then it goes right. Then the very next thing is that the flood came because the Lord was needing to wipe out this DNA corruption. See, the demonic is always trying to kill this seed. Watch this all the way back. He's trying to corrupt this blessed seed of Abraham all the way through. So the flood came to try to wipe out that. We do know that that DNA carried over past the flood as well. Then we had Noah. I won't go into, I mean, I could walk through the Old Testament with you. But then Noah was chosen. Why? Because the purity of his generations. If you'll read in there. 
because of the purity. His generational line had not been corrupted in this, uh, this way by these Nephilim or this DNA uh, situation. And I know this may sound a little weird, but if we'll read that carefully, that's the purpose for all this is trying to protect the seed that God had planned through, through Abraham. So here's Noah. He brought his family through that uh, by, the, by the boat. and out, He had a son by the name of Shem. And out of Shem came Abraham. And then we follow that line all the way through. We could even go to the story of, remember Abraham and Sarah? They're old, couldn't have a child. So where's the promise? Where's the seed coming from? And Abraham, like all of us, or maybe I should say like me, tries to figure out a way to make God's plan work so I can try to help him out. He, he did a different way and didn't work. Tried to use a handmaiden to have a child, but that was not the... Now the blessing was still on that child because it was going to be numerous. But God had a plan that out of the impossible, he was going to bring forth a son for Abraham. The seed was going to come through Abraham. Then if you go over to when, a, when God asked Abram to take his son out and sacrifice him, see what this means now. Not, he asked him, would you be willing to put your son on an altar and kill him? Do you understand now? He's saying, will you be willing to trust me to kill the seed that I promised that you would have? So he was tested in that. And in the midst of that, remember, God provided a substitute sacrifice that day. So Isaac did not have to die. And so there was the substitute. Again, a forerunner of something that's going to happen in the New Testament. When Jesus became, we sang it, he became the lamb. He was the lion, roars like a lion. And then it says he also becomes the lamb. He became that sacrifice substitute for me and for you. We were to be put on that altar and killed because of our sin. The wages of sin is death. But because he was protected all the way through, down through all of the story of the Old Testament, that line has been protected so that we could get to the promise of Jesus that all of the nations now can be saved through him. The Lord gave these uh, commands as stepping stones, I would say, kind of like. It says, have no, have no gods before me. And so he put those stepping stones down. It says, don't have any images that you worship. Don't misuse the name of the Lord. Find, keep the Sabbath day holy so that you can rest and you can worship. Honor your mom and dad. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't bear a false testimony. Be trustworthy. Don't covet. And so these standards were put out. And it says that that is, the Lord says, I, if you'll live under these commands, you're going to be a portrait of me, of integrity. The problem is we could not stay on that path. We would miss it from time to time. We knew the standards, but we were unable to fulfill those completely. So this law of God was added because mankind had trouble, was unable to keep his feet on the paths that the Lord laid before us. So, truth or lie, number one. 
The law of God was given to make man be good. It's a little tricky there. True or false? It is a lie because the law came with no power to make man good. It had no power to do that. I'll show you what it had a power to do in just a moment. But it had no power to make man be good. Okay, sermon. so the question I'm trying to answer today is why? What is the purpose of the law of God after God gave us a completed covenant through Jesus? What is this law for? for so first of all, it was a guide for godliness. Second is this. The law is given to help people become aware of sin. Number two. The law is given to help us be aware of sin. Galatians 3.21, look at it with me. Is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? No, absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. The law convicts men when the law is broken, but gives no way for man to be made right. <clears throat> so the law is a guide, but it, this law itself gives no way for us to fix it when we've broken the standards of God. And who's, all, who's broken it? Scripture's pretty clear. All of us have sinned, transgressed, and missed the glory of God. All, all mankind. So, in this passage, the law stops our excuses we don't have any excuse. And it pronounces us as we stand before God, guilty. We will be before God guilty if we base our life off of pursuing the perfection of the law. The scripture says that the law was given so that the offense, that the breaking of the law would increase. That we would have a greater sense of brokenness, of failure, of weakness, of sin. That the law was given for that purpose. Matter of fact, Romans, Paul wrote this in chapter 5, verse 20. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. That we might become greater, basically conviction. That the spirit of conviction would begin to be strong on people. Because we realize, God, we have not fulfilled that standard. We have not stepped on every stone you have given us. He said in Romans 3, 22, one of the verses we read today, this, but Scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin so that what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. What does the law do? It condemns us. It condemns us. Guilty. Didn't fulfill it. And our only hope now, based on what we've learned here, is this thing called the seed. Our only hope is the seed that God promised to Abraham. I have personally, in the many years I've been in ministry, from music to student ministry to past church planting to pastoral ministry, I have never met a sane person. I have met a few insane people that did not understand that they were sinners. But every sane person, whether the greatest saint or the worst sinner you would know, know they are sinners. They know but innate that there's something broken seriously inside of us. And that, so this law condemns us. Uh, as a, another 
concept of that would be that the law of God would be like this measuring stick. And we have the commands on there. And we know that this is the model of God. And yet, depending on how tall you are, and I'm short, we're missing high. We're missing the standard. I am not able to live up to the standards of God. It's out of my reach. And that's what the law of God does. It proves as I compare myself to the standards of God, uh uh-oh, I've fallen short of what it requires to be right with the Lord. So we have the, we have the stones that give us a place to guide our steps. We have the measuring stick that says, whoop, too short, not living up. So the law of God came to help us be aware of sin. True or lie? Number two, the law of God was given to make man aware of sin. The answer is yes. Okay, why did God give this law? If he knew he was going to give a new covenant in Jesus, we have a third answer here. The law is given to be a prison with a strict teacher, a strict tutor, a strict guardian. The law was given as a guardian over us, or a strict teacher. Galatians 3.23 Before the coming of this faith, what is faith? Jesus' payment for our sin on the cross. We were held in custody. We were put in a prison under the law. We were locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. Do you understand the motive behind the law then is basically fear, right? If I don't do this perfectly, what am I going to face? I'm going to face a judge at some point and I'm guilty. Even though I tried hard to reach it, and I didn't quite get it, I'm guilty. And the scripture says, if I miss one of those steps, I'm guilty of breaking all of them. So I'm in trouble if I have to stand before God and my ability to keep the the standards of God. And my motive is fear. You know why? Because I only know God as my judge. And if I know I'm guilty, I have to live in a whole lot of fear. And it can take on the form of rebelling against God and going out and saying, well, if that's the way it's going to be, I'll do whatever I want to do. Or it can go the other turn. It can make us be so religious in our abilities to please God. We're just as miserable on the religious side as we are on the other side. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. It's like that strict teacher or that tutor. And they're constantly saying, you're, you're in the wrong. You messed up. You didn't do this right. There is always that, that tutor in the background. It's not, the be- it's not a good teacher. It's that tutor that is getting on to us, always a failure concerning our efforts. And that's what it did. And here's what I want to say to you. We were held restrained by the bars of the law until a new sheriff came in town and set us free. That's exactly what happened here. We were held in this prison, condemnation, until the new sheriff, that's Jesus. And he came and he says, I'm going to pay your price. I'm going to set you free. Truth or lie, number three. 
The law of God was given as a prison with a strict teacher. The answer is yes. True. Galatians 3.23 gives you the answer. So, all right, what's the solution here? What's the purpose of the law in our day? What is the purpose? He gives us, gives us three reasons. He gives us a guideline for godliness. It's the standard of God. He wants us to be in a picture of Him. It was given to help people be aware of our sin condition. It brought a reality of conviction in our life. And third, it was given with a strict teacher to point out our failings or our sin. This is where the seed comes in. I'm going to close. Till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. Paul makes it clear. I think you know it. But the seed promised all the way back to Abraham is Jesus. He is the seed. He is that protected DNA line that God protected all the way down to when the Messiah would come. Jesus is that Messiah. Fulfilling God's promise that he made to Abraham was fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus came to finish transgressions because he took all of them upon himself. And he came to bring everlasting righteousness. Both of those concepts are hard for me to grasp. He came and took all of our sin and then unleashed righteousness on those who will believe. What a trade! I don't care what you trade. You, know, you may even be a hoarder in your trading. You watch those shows when all those guys trade for stuff. But what a trade. We can take all of our brokenness and give it to him. And then he gives us his righteousness. The best deal ever. And we all need to make sure we've made that deal with the Father. It's so important. So what does this require of us? It's simple. Wages of sin, the failure of keeping the law, is death. But the gift of God, through Jesus Christ our Lord, is salvation, forgiveness. He paid the price. He's the one who redeems us. All we have to do with this, the only part we have to play with this, is to bring Him our sinfulness, and make the trade. We have to be willing to confess our sins. Because he says, I'm faithful and I'm just and I'll forgive you of your sin. I'll cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Here's what I want to ask you to do. Would you bow your head? Vicki, you can come up. I want to give you just a second because I want to you to make sure that you personally have asked Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins, to cleanse you of your transgressions, your breaking of the law. Make sure you have a personal relationship with Jesus. I would say it'd be important to look back to a time, a place, a location where you remember when you laid your life before him broken and said, can you take this mess and do something with it? If you've not done that, or if you're not sure if you've done that, 
I want to lead you in a little prayer. These words do nothing for you unless these words come from your heart in a place of brokenness before the Lord. But if you want to make sure, if you want to on this day to to get your heart back where it needs to be with the Lord, just say something like this. Dear Jesus, I am that sinner the preacher talked about. I have broken your laws. I've broken your standards. I am guilty. I have no defense. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross, to becoming the substitute for my death. Please apply the forgiveness you paid for. Apply it to my life. Please forgive me. Then take a moment to say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for forgiving me. Then just pray, Lord, now that you've done that work inside of me, please send your Holy Spirit into my life. I want you to become my master. I want you to become the leader of my life. And Lord, by faith in what you were as the seed promised to Abraham through God, I want to thank you for saving me. And then just say thank you, Jesus. If you prayed that prayer today for the first time in your minute with nobody looking around, would you just lift your hand and let me see it? Anybody here prayed it and you not ever prayed that before? Okay. All right. Anybody here that settled it today? You may have, you've wrestled with it not knowing for a long time, but you prayed and you really meant that today. Would you lift your hand? Okay. Here's what I want to say to you guys. There were about three or four that raised their hand. I'm going to have some prayer partners, uh, three or four that are going to come and stand here on the front. You guys come ahead, that whoever will do that. What I want you to do, if you prayed that today and you meant it, there's a part of finishing this act of faith is by telling it, by just confessing what you have done. So what I want to ask you to do during an invitation time, there may be people coming to pray maybe people praying for one another in the audience. But I'd like to have you come and share with one of our prayer partners up here that, that you prayed that prayer. I, here's why. I want to get your name because I want to follow up with you because there are some important next steps we'd like to help you with as you're pursuing this relationship with the Lord. So I'm going to invite all of you to stand, please. And we're just going to have a time of response. If you raised your hands, I'd appreciate you just telling, come and telling one of our prayer partners. Could I have a few more down here, please? Go ahead and sing for me. 